Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Political commentator and investigative journalist. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine. In for Patrick today, Friday the 16th of February. Uh, In this second hour, I will be joined by Matthew Lee of Inner City Press, direct from the Lower Manhattan Courthouse where we will get the latest on Donald Trump's bid to avoid the legal spider's web that Democrats have constructed for him in a bid to stop him running effectively for President of the United States. That and the other legal cases from the USA, from that most litigious of societies, we'll get from Matthew after the half hour. Before that, I'll be joined by Christian James, our TNT researcher and contributor with the update on some of the headlines here in the UK, which is where I will start right away. The Conservative Party lost two by-elections last night in Kingswood, the one which is in uh, Gloucestershire and Wellingborough in Northamptonshire. Very bad losses. Uh, The one in Northamptonshire had the biggest swing to Labour since 1994, but don't think that it was in any way an endorsement of the dreadful Keir Starmer and his neoliberal version of the UK Labour Party. It was an extremely low turnout and the Labour candidate got far fewer votes than he did in 2017. And in 2017, he got fewer than he did in 2019. So for all his pomposity and grandstanding, Starmer's Labour Party is less popular with the electorate than Jeremy Corbyn's. Nevertheless, the collapse in the Conservative vote meant that Labour won the seat quite comfortably. However, 17% of the electorate only voted for the Labour candidate. And to me, this is indicative of a major problem we have in British politics, because with the first past the post system uh, and low voter turnouts, partly because of the first past the post system, which does not reward independent candidates, uh, unless, of course, they can concentrate their resources in a very small geographical area, The first past the post system means that we could end up with a government after the next general election, which similarly enjoys the support of less than 20% of the electorate. Does such uh, a government really have a mandate from the British people to do anything? The Labour Party have got all sorts of authoritarian tricks and further erosions of our civil liberties and standard of living in the pipeline should they get elected. The Labour Party under Keir Starmer is not a sort of slightly modernised or mildly reformed version of the, or the many, not the few, Labour Party of John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn. Oh no, au contraire. It's somewhere to the right of the Conservative Party on most issues. 
certainly the ones that affect most people all the pledges for renationalizing water power railways they've all been ditched even though they're all extremely popular measures so we could have a sort of authoritarian globalist neoliberal government elected in britain uh with 83 84 percent of the population refusing to endorse it is that democracy i think we're in for a bit of a crisis down the road uh also notable from the by-elections was that the reform party got about 10 percent of the vote in both constituencies and uh, i can see it getting 10 percent of the vote in a general election or close to it and that's enough given that most of its supporters come from the conservative party uh, that's enough to rob the conservative party of dozens and dozens of seats on the figures uh if the average of the swing in these two constituencies was replicated uh, across the country at a general election the conservatives would probably end up with about 80 or 100 seats uh you know basically wiped out i can't see that happening i think it's far more likely that the tories will ditch uh, rishi sunak ahead of the election they've got a habit of doing that it's very much a personality-led party and if they don't think they can win with sunak they won't hesitate to get rid of him i hope they do uh, i think he's absolutely awful to be perfectly honest my colleague Pelly north taylor said this morning that uh, sunak is less russophobic than the rest of the united kingdom establishment i'm not sure about that he certainly hasn't held back in his support for the genocide in fact he's been an enthusiastic endorser of it and we've learned from declassified amongst others that uh, israeli officers have been trained i believe on these shores and uh, bases in cyprus have been used to supply the ammunition used in the genocide causing the appalling life-changing injuries and deaths we heard from dr khan in the first hour so watch out rishi sunak once the verdict guilty comes down from the icj you are complicit as the center for justice for palestine have indicated sunak's answer of course to these by-election defeats is the usual conservative one so if you can guess what it is cut taxes that's right as always bribe the electorate with their own money that's the only idea the conservatives have ever had but it's been a very successful one for decades the conservative party is the most the uk conservative party is the most successful political party in the western world by quite a long way for the last two or three hundred years so after these election results uh, i'm slightly tempted to have a small wager on the conservatives being the largest party after the next election particularly if uh, they get rid of sunak and uh, of course an awful lot of genuine labor supporters on the left of the party and indeed ordinary voters who simply don't like genocide are deserting labor who are doing their best to throw a potential election victory away with their continued failure to support a ceasefire the next by-election is in rochdale 
where gorgeous George Galloway, of course, uh, is standing for the Workers' Party of Britain. And uh, I think he stands every chance of winning. He's now the odds-on favourite. Uh, the bookmakers and uh, indeed the pundits now think he is far and away the most likely person to be elected as the next MP for Rochdale. And he will without doubt be the most vocal supporter of Palestinian human rights in the House of Commons. Uh, he is quite unapologetic in his condemnation of Israel. He does not buy into the Zionist lie machine and Zionist propaganda that unfortunately the vast majority of MPs do. Next week there will be another ceasefire vote being brought this time by the Scottish National Party and it will be interesting to see where the divisions lie. As Dr Khan said, how many people have to die and be mutilated? How many children's eyes have to be destroyed? How many children's legs have to be amputated before Conservative MPs and large sections of the Labour Party, as well for that matter as the Liberal Democrats and, and people like Caroline Lucas, the Green MP who has been absolutely appalling on this issue. Uh, how many have to die before uh, the British Parliament calls for a ceasefire? Not, of course, that the Israelis would pay any attention. I mean, if it was a, even if the UK Parliament House of Commons voted unanimously for a ceasefire, we can cut any ice whatsoever with the Israelis. It's purely symbolic, and it gives us a chance to find out where our politicians stand. So that's what's coming up. We're going to take a short break now with the network. When we come back, I hope to be joined by Christian James for all things UK, including more on the farmers' protests. Where are they going? We'll be right back after these messages. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs, I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois, and this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right mind goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. <laughs> Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. 
Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. And welcome back to the programme with me, Basil Valentine, sitting in for Patrick today, Friday, the 16th of February. In a moment, I'll be joined by our contributor and researcher, Christian James. But first, let's have a look at the Putin pile-up, the death of Alexei Navalny. Very curious timing, I have to say, after Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin last week, which painted the Russian leader in a favourable light and subsequently the Russian nation in a favourable context. Um, interesting that he has died at this time. I don't wish to engage in any conspiracy theories, but it's certainly very convenient for those who wish to continue to demonise the Russian regime. Justin Trudeau, the man masquerading as Prime Minister of Canada, praised Navalny on Canadian Broadcasting Company. He said he was such a strong fighter for democracy, for freedoms for the Russian people. It really shows the extent to which Putin will crack down on anyone who is fighting for freedom for the Russian people. It is a tragedy and it is something the entire world being reminded of exactly what a monster Putin is. The United Nations Human Rights Office has called on Russia for a credible investigation. There should, of course, be a post-mortem. A spokesperson, Liz Throssell, said, if someone dies in the custody of the state, the presumption is that the state is responsible, a responsibility that can only be rebutted through an impartial, thorough and transparent investigation carried out by an independent body and i would endorse that sentiment poland's prime minister donald tusk the former european union apparatchik posted a simple but strong message on x he said navalny would never be forgotten and we will never forgive them not quite sure who they are i suppose his killers does tusk know something we don't jen stoltenberg one of the chief amongst the warmongers uh, has told reporters that Russia has serious questions to answer. I'm deeply saddened and concerned about reports coming from Russia that Alexei Navalny is dead. All the facts have to be established and Russia has serious questions to answer. Of course, there are thousands of people all over the world dropping dead every day. And uh, we want answers for that too. Right. Uh, I'm delighted to say I'm now joined by Christian James, Christian Lander, our curious world. Je uh, Christian, what have you found to perk up your Christian, your curiosity this week? Oh well, the the world is a little bit of a bit in chaos, isn't it? Everywhere I look, it seems to be a current affairs issue that appears to have gone awry, um, and it's really difficult to stop and take pause at any moment, isn't it? Where you have a look and what's going on, it's like does the world get any crazier? And every week it appears to be, yes, it does. Um, so one of the things I've been kind of looking at is uh, what's happening in regards to the farmers' protest, continuing the research that I've been doing there with the article that I published over at 21st Century Wire last week. I'm just kind of following up on that story, really. So, I mean, there's been an interesting development. I mean, you may well have seen it yourself, Basil, uh, that's occurred in the last couple of weeks. It appears that there's a activist protest group in France um, and they are in support of the farmers' discontent. Uh, they're called a riposte alimentaire, and uh, which roughly translates as food response. So there's been initially there was a couple of multi-haired coloured people 
throwing super a few valuable paintings, um, kind of in the way and the style that Just Stop Oil has. Um, at the Louvre, they held soup and paints basically at Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, the Mona Lisa, last week. And this week, they did the same to a Monet painting as well. Um, so it's interesting because although they've kind of joined the protest and agreeing with the farmers in the UK and the Netherlands and Belgium and so on in France and Germany and, and much more beyond that, um, their media coverage has been successful, even if it is mirroring what's going on with Just Stop Oil. So therefore, we have to sort of say it, it's successful. But I, I was looking at it in a way that uh, it brings mainstream attention to the plight of the farmers because they are gathering uh, mainstream press upon this. But in the same way that we kind of bother, so we see Just Stop Oil as a bit of a nuisance, really. And I kind of wondered, is that a way that this actually might get people inside you know, um, the, the protest group in order to break it up because people will become more and more annoyed with the activities that are going on, even though it comes from the right place. I mean, um, they, they're declaring an absolute emergency. I guess we can say that in regards to the ecological and the environmental concerns that they raise um, from their point of view. But I think we have a, a useful idiot idiom happening here. I mean, you know what it's like with just stop oil across the UK and uh, they block roads, they prevent emergency services. They are quite the nuisance causing, causing slow holding traffic. Um, decorating buildings and uh, and so on in orange. So this may alter the perception and actually swing a support the other way. Have you been have you been seeing that yourself, Basil? Well, I think it's certainly true to say that protest movements in general seem to be amalgamating as part of a general disconsent with elites and with the way we are governed in Western nations. We've seen um the famous swedish environmental campaigner greta thunberg take up the cause of the palestinian people and now you quite rightly point out a new alliance between uh what i suppose this french group is related to the gilets jaunes um and uh now in league with the farmers and with environmental protesters so we're seeing a sort of a broader coalition of anti-government protests emerging uh, in western countries in europe in particular do you think that's a fair comment uh, yeah absolutely uh, spot on there basil there there appears to be uh, a movement in a, in a alignment their the goals appear to be aligned with each other so whether they get to the end of the road they have different goals for the time being they are sort of aligned with each other i mean i myself have been had roads blocked by just stop oil protests and it is annoying, even though they perhaps come from, you know, a position where they think they're doing the right thing for the environment. But um, I was uh, doing some doing some studying online this past week about this uh, this group, uh, Reposte Alimentaire. So they're part of the A22 network, which may be familiar to yourself and certainly some of the listeners out there in the world of uh, TNT network. Is that so? They are a network of groups within France and eleven other countries across Europe, Brazil, and. Um, and they are the same, they own the same um, parent company, this parent organization, this NGO, that Just Stop Oil is actually a part of. So they are in the same group, this uh, group that is now blasting uh, paints and soap, at, uh, paintings and so on, and priceless works of art just to get attention. Um, so I was looking at their um, manifesto, as it were, their, their goals and their aims. So there's a there's something I really wanted to bring to someone's attention about this, and I think TNT is the right place to do it. 
So what they want to bring about is a new card that gives access to a proof product uh, for an amount of 150 euros, 150 pounds a month per person for a contribution system. Uh, approved products must be validated according to an environmental criteria. And a collective food subscription uh, model is what they want to bring into place, this A22 organization. Um, so one sees the irony that there's a system they want to take down um, and rebuild from the ground up in their image is actually the same way and the same system. Actually, they appear to be fighting against that wants to bring about a digital ID system that wants to monitor uh, what it is that we need to monitor on a day-to-day -day basis. So the irony wasn't, uh, wasn't left, left to go there. Well, you saw it the same way as I did. Um, I'm glad about that. I, I just find that they, they, they want the same end goal, really. This kind of communist kind of system where you pay in and everyone gets equal distribution that in some ways sort of makes sense, but it, in every opportunity time where it's actually been tried, it, it fails miserably. And I think that will happen again. But they want to bring around the same kind of end goal that they are fighting against. So I think they're there's the useful idiom, the the useful idiot, and there they kind of um, their goals are aligned for the time being. Um, and where they go with this, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and keep you guys posted. And what about the farmers? Uh, you know, protests in just about every major European country, less so in the UK. Is that because we're no longer part of the common agricultural policy and not subject to the same? ludicrous Brussels diktats as the European Union? Uh, and are the complaints the same in France as Romania and Portugal? So actually, you know, the answer to that is no. Um, I do believe actually the, the difference is the fact that we have Brexit and we, are, we sit outside of the European control zone um, of the way they want to lock down our food systems. There is, there is related issues for sure. So um, in, in Scotland, they were, in the article, as I highlighted, well, they are protesting, they're, they're farmers up in Scotland, they're protesting about the reintroduction of, um, of beavers, oddly enough, into the, into the live, into, into the land that may indeed stop water and agriculture, so, so stop agriculture receiving water because they create dams. So that's, oddly enough, been bolted on to the farmers' protest, and they indeed have gone to, um, have gone to Edinburgh and their tractors and saying this is a system and a policy the, the, the government has put into place that we didn't agree with. But it's, oddly enough, it's been bolted on with the hashtag farmers protest. In the UK, we saw um, a few weeks ago, 49 um, scarecrows are planted outside Parliament um, to represent how 49% of farmers in the UK are about to leave the industry because they feel highly pressured, uh, mainly by the supermarkets. In the UK, you have six major supermarket chains, uh, and every one of them is, unfortunately, um, destroying the farmer because they want lower and lower prices because they can buy in bulk and as such the the volume um, produced is being sold at, at cost price or even less um, even though despite the fact that they have to produce so much volume of it so they and Parliament actually appears to agree with them and they are now responding to the supermarkets in kind so the farmers uh, protest here is slightly different of course in in France and Germany um, the likes of Estonia and so on and there is the other issue that regarding uh, Ukrainian goods that appears to be being sold much cheaper of a lower quality uh, that is undercutting uh, France, Germany and all, all the countries across Europe and in Portugal. Um, and because they understand that despite the Ukraine um, not being part of Europe, they can actually sell their goods and move their goods uh, into those countries and, and pay no tax in doing so either. So what's happening is the restaurant trade um, and trade and industry is buying the cheap goods rather than actually the ones that are effectively around the corner from them 
or the ones that are close by. So there is there is discontent in different ways. There, there is certainly is farmers' protests happening in the UK. Uh, there's certainly uh, disgruntled people. Uh, and there is the issue regarding what's happening with the fertilizer, with the, so the nitrates in the, in the soil. Uh, people are uh, reacting to that because the price of that has skyrocketed to a price that appears to be uh, untenable for some businesses uh, who are the farmers and so on. Um, but that, again, that's, that's really regarding what the UK policy is in regards to um, it's Russia because Russia is where most of the nitrates were being exported from. And currently we have uh, embargoes on them. We're not stopping that stock coming in. So we are currently receiving a fertilizer from India, um, but it's, it's, it's far lower volumes. Tory MPs, uh, I mean, warning. Go on. No, I was going to say, have you been seeing uh, different stories as well? Because the farmers' protest is such the biggest story perhaps going on right now. Well, the biggest story going on right now is the genocide, Christian. But apart from that... Oh, the, the, the one that's um, uh, eating up all the oxygen in the newsroom today, of course, is the death of Alexei Navalny, uh, the Russian dissident. I must confess to not knowing too much about Navalny. Uh, do you have any insight into uh, how his death might affect Anglo-Russian relations in particular? You know, I don't know. I, I, I might also <laughs> understand that he was he the opposition to Vladimir Putin in the next election. Yes, uh, yes absolutely. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, so I suppose would the US and obviously the the, uh, the Anglo sphere, as it were, be propping him up and giving him money to back a, a, an internal um, change in, in Russia? I, I'm not quite sure Navalny's policies. I mean, I guess that in mo most people in Russia would perhaps be opposed to the present war that they are currently in. Um, they certainly might not be very happy with it, certainly with the conscription system that they have going on right now. Um, they might be, you know, they want to change effectively to bring that into that war. I know how hostilities happening. Um, I'm not quite sure what Navalny's perspective was on that. And I have to say, without looking at it, I'm not going to know, so it's a bit hard to comment. But I guess that there would now be a power vacuum within that organisation um, to create a new leader to represent that party. Yes, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, no fan of UK enmity for Russia, put it that way. Uh, but at the same time, I recognise that uh, Putin is no choir boy. Um, I don't pretend to be an expert on the, the current Russian regime. Uh, but uh, what I can say is I don't much like the sound of the polar wolf, which is where he was uh, detained, a prison north of the Arctic Circle the IK3 penal colony in Karp in the Yamal Nenets region, about 1,900 kilometers, that's 1,200 miles northeast of Moscow. In a post on the Telegram messaging app in December, Navalny said he'd been put in a punishment cell for his attitude as soon as he left quarantine at the so-called Polar Wolf prison colony. So for all uh, his protests and for all um, uh, Tucker's soft soap interview, this doesn't sound like a particularly pleasant place to go. It has not been colder than minus 32 degrees Celsius yet, he said in a post laden with sarcasm. Nothing quite invigorates you like a walk in your mall at 6.30 in the morning. Even at this temperature, you can walk for more than half an hour only if you manage to grow a new nose, new ears and new fingers. Well, 
uh, it is obviously very sad that Mr. Navalny is no longer with us. Christian, what else have you got for us? Well, no, there is something actually in regards to this. So, of course, we have on February the 20th, we have Julian Assange's final uh, hearing here in the UK. He's currently been held at Belmarsh Prison. As many of us know, he's been held there now for, well, he's been for six years, I believe it is now. Um, and there is tremendous pressure to not have him extradited to the US, where he faces 175 years in prison, should he go over there and then face their court system as well. Um, a man who certainly would die in prison if that was to be the case. And there has been tremendous support and, uh, for him uh, from across all the journalist spectrum. But uh, one thing that really did catch my eye is that this past week, a, an, an artist called Andre Melenkin, um, he basically has managed to gather a large number of art pieces uh, and people that have donated, not necessarily their smallest art piece. We're talking like um, Rembrandt's, um, some large pieces from uh, Picasso, Warhol, um, to a total of more than 45 uh, million euros, it says. And they are being kept in a safe um, and should um, Julian Assange be extradited, those pieces of art will be destroyed. Um, and that's basically a, a collective effort, a protest to basically show that uh, there is support from the creative media, the current creative world uh, for Julian Assange and what he stands for, for freedom in regards to what he revealed in regards to the, the war crimes of the United States and as such, the, uh, the partners and the allies who, who, who he was partnered with uh, committed in those times in Iraq and so on. So this, I think, is a really powerful statement that uh, should, should he go ahead, should we decide to extradite him or other, whatever that legal decision is going to be, uh, we're going to lose uh, a large amount of art, but that is not in regards to the demonstration against, this is a person here, a person who stood up for freedom and stood up for freedom of journalism uh, at a time when very few people were. And I think we should all pay, you know, dividends, as it were, to Julian Assange and the efforts that he made. And uh, I think a large a number of us were awoken to what's happening in the world because of Julian. And that now is now, what, four days away. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen outside the courts on that day. I do believe it's a two-day... Oh, we'll be there. TNT will be there, Christian. TNT will be broadcasting live from outside the Royal Courts of Justice, also known as the Old Bailey, next week on Tuesday and Wednesday. And TNT is also sponsoring the screening of a new film about Julian's plight, The Trustfall, Julian Assange, a feature-length documentary which is being screened at the Rio Cinema in Dalston this coming Sunday at 1pm. That's Sunday the 18th of February at 1pm. And I'll be there myself. Feel free to come up and say hello. Christian, thank you very much indeed. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, I'll be joined by Matthew Lee, direct from the Manhattan South Courthouse, where he's been talking to Lieutenant Theo Kojak. No, sorry, that's my joke. Uh, where he will bring us the latest on the trials and tribulations, Donald Trump. We'll be right back after this short De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. One of the things, if you're putting forth a new idea or you have an idea that you think is revolutionary and can actually lead to a change in the way people look at things is that that idea can start owning you. Now, if you've been listening to me on TNT, I've been talking about something called hydrothermal vents. The reason I got into this is because they affect the weather that if these hot spots develop in the ocean, well, guess what? 
the weather reacts. And I'm just getting sick and tired of them developing out of nowhere and basically catching me off guard. I don't like it. When I put together a weather forecast, I'm looking at certain events going on in the atmosphere, and then if something happens in the oceans that changes that, and then the atmospheres react, I can't see that stuff. In any case, I've been pushing this hydrothermal vent idea for quite some time. And a lot of people say, you have no peer review. Well, first of all, I've walked up and down many beaches and reviewed the piers out there, but that's a different kind of peer. They have no peer review that it's not happening. And I'm going to quote from an article, and the name of the article is How Hydrothermal Vents and Other Seabed Structures Heat Our Oceans, that says this, overwhelming amounts of reliable information taken from hundreds of research studies, that's right, hundreds, and you don't even know about them because no one wants you to, prove that emissions of superheated fluids and gases from the estimated 10 million ocean floor geological features including these hydrothermal vents, are responsible for warming the Earth's oceans, not human activities. If you find out what is warming the oceans, that is the key to what's warming the atmosphere. And it would blow the whole missive out of the water. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And I'm not going to roll quickly. And welcome back to the Patrick Ennison Show with me, Basil Valentine, in for Patrick today, Friday the 16th of February. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined from Manhattan by Matthew Lee. Matthew from Inner City Press. Great that you can join us. Great. I'm, I'm glad to be here. There's a lot going on. Uh, uh, and, and sadly, or or happily, or as a reporter, it's a bit too much. There's Trump madness over here. Yesterday, it's particularly in Manhattan. Yesterday, there was a uh, a uh, criminal hearing in his criminal Manhattan criminal case, which involves um, uh, doctoring business records. That's the charge. The charge is that when he paid off Stormy Daniels to not go public with uh, with um, their quote affair or just encounter, um, he didn't properly bookkeep. The, the the records, and this violates New York state law. This looks to be the first criminal case that will go. Yesterday, a Judge Merchant said, March 25th, jury jury selection, nothing will stop it. Not primaries, not uh, Nikki Haley, nothing. So it was a long, it was a long hearing. There was a lot of interest in it, but it looks like that trial will actually begin on that date. Uh, I'm also seeing that he faces a potential $370 million fine in a new yeah, that case is, trial totally that's that that's the second case that's down here it's it's a civil case but it is brought by the government it's brought by the state attorney general letitia james basically and again it's one of these i mean the case is saying that he overvalued his assets and therefore got uh artificially low interest rates from deutsche bank among others now the banks haven't complained in fact they testified i covered the trial the quote-unquote trial it was really a damages hearing um, it went on for months, and but the bank said, "Hey, we're totally happy with these loans. We got paid back. There's no problem." It's a unique New York State statute that doesn't require anyone to be harmed. It's saying that if you deceived or did something possibly deceptive, you injure the market and you injure everyone, and the state attorney general can therefore shut your business and and uh, go after a fine. It could be higher than that because uh, there's been the, the judge. <laughs> 
the judge made himself sort of part of the story. He was he was a uh, famously combative with Trump. You know, you sit down. He kind of abused his lawyers. There was a controversy about his law clerk who was very active in sort of giving him instructions in his ear. And then Trump, of course, being Trump, found a picture of the law clerk or his team did. But he put it out on True Social of, of the law clerk of Judge Engeron uh, with Chuck Schumer, the, the Democratic senator from New York. So he called her Chuck's girlfriend, uh, get, giving rise to a gag order in the case that he couldn't talk about the law clerk anymore. Anyway, it's all the chickens are coming home to roost. In fact, I'm kind of I'm a bit concerned doing this now because it, the ruling will come today. Everyone has been talking about it. But as of 1230, when we began, it hadn't come. Whether it comes before one, I don't know. And uh, I'm not as online as usual, given that I'm here. Uh-huh. But here I am. <laughs> Here you are, Matthew. We're very glad to have you. Uh, where do people get a figure like $370 million from? Um, it strikes me as well that surely uh, if Trump is accused of overvaluing assets, then you simply call in independent valuers. If this was historic, if it was 10 years ago, I'm sure there are property experts that can say, well, you know, this is what we reckon this was worth at the time that he valued it and such and such, you know. Um, surely it shouldn't be just left to a judge who has particularly someone like Judge Arthur Engeron, who doesn't necessarily have any idea what anything is worth, let alone I mean, the property. Actually, yeah, no, that, that's a really it's, it's there were experts on both sides. The problem is that at least as of as of the end of the trial, it appeared that they were valuing uh, Mar-a-Lago, this huge estate in Florida at 18 million dollars. This is something Trump is there, there was a lot of. Uh, of uh, fast and loose numbers. Uh, Trump was like, it's worth 1.5 billion. Um, but the reality is, is is that the way they tried to do it, at least on paper, was to say, had you, and here's an example. This is this was literally like the key example given a trial. He said that his triplex apartment in Trump Tower was X number of square feet. And that in fact included like the, the elevators and the lobbies on each floor. So that shouldn't have been included. He said it was just an error once we realized that we'd just taken the size of the floors and multiplied it, we we we, we took the space out. What they're claiming, what Tisha James is claiming, is that had he had each of these assets been properly valued, like the size of the apartment, so then that's how you figure out its value, its square footage, the interest rate he paid instead of being, you know, four point eight percent would have been five point two percent. And on a on the type of construction loans he was getting, you could start adding up the money. So that's sort of how they came up with the number. I agree. It seems it seems very arbitrary. And I guess the main thing is that usually a crime requires a victim, um, particularly a fraud crime. You have to like who was defrauded. This is a very not all states have the statute. It's a state. It's a state case that's used to say by by anything deceptive, everyone is injured naked. And the thing is, it's not just a fine. It's an attempt. The, the possible remedies here involve stripping the business licenses, saying that Trump can't be the head of any corporation in new york for five years or, or ever his sons for five years so it's he's going to appeal there's a lot of i mean on i can't tell you how many the trump haters today are very much waiting for this for this uh for this this decision the number to come down it was determined even before the trial there, there was no jury either that was a very weird trial and i, I don't you're, you'll see the number today hopefully it'll be after one o'clock and then i'm going to be all over it the, the criminal trial I have to say has more the reason is in exit polling being done in the caucuses and in the primaries, there are Republican voters saying, I'm favoring Trump now, but if he's convicted of a felony, uh, I won't vote for him. 
And that seems to make sense, except these are felonies. These New York State charges of Alvin Brad's, which involve mis doing improper bookkeeping for hush money payments. He's not being charged for hush money payments. He's obviously not being charged for having sex with Stormy Daniels. He's being charged for not having a, a budget line in Trump organization for hush money payments. Instead, it was styled as a legal retainer to this guy, Michael Cohen, who famously turned against Trump. It's I think there's a lot. Even the Trump haters are saying this is not the right trial to go first because, one, it's a very weak case. So they might lose Two, even if they win, it's going to it's going to take the sting off the idea of being convicted of a felony because these felonies are just are totally bogus felonies. They're they're felonies that if somebody actually looks at the charge, they say, I don't understand that. That seems more like, like a violation or you just tell somebody to refile the papers. It's not again. It's a question of like who was harmed. He Trump has a legal argument which was de de uh, denied by the judge yesterday. This judge also is pretty anti-Trump. He was like, you sit down, Mr. Blanche. And, you know, Blanche was like, this is ridiculous that he's going to spend six weeks in a trial in Manhattan in the middle of the primary season. And the judge said, that's not a legal argument. See you. See you March 25th. But his argument is that under, the underlying with this New York state, again, who, who knew these statutes existed, that any doctoring of business records in furtherance of another crime is a felony. And the, the other crime in this case is running for president in 2016, finance, campaign finance, which is a federal crime. So Trump's argument is that you can't tie this New York state statute into a federal crime and that the New York state courts have no jurisdiction over federal campaign finance. It's not a bad, it's not a bad argument. So I could definitely see if the trial goes forward, if he's found guilty in, I don't know, April or May, he might get a, an appeals decision before November, who knows? But that's, it's an incredible, so on the one hand, you have you know, Trump and all of his legal issues, Excuse me. On the other hand, you have Biden with his fending off wildly the idea that he's incompetent and has no memory, which was hammered home by the special counsel. Her. It's now come since we last spoke. I think um, it's come out that the White House tried to get that part of the report taken out. They wrote to the Justice Department and said, "Just clear him of the charges. Don't say." You cleared him because he's so incompetent that he could never be put on trial, which is pretty much what her said, which is extraordinary. I mean, I think people are saying that was a that was a real dig. It was kind of like worse. It was actually worse for Biden than being, than being criticized for taking records because it was saying, like, you don't even remember if you took the records or even worse. You may remember, but you seem so incompetent that no jury is going to find you find you, um, you know, find you guilty, which the problem is, like, he's meeting with 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 world leaders like if a jury knows he's incompetent what about like you know the g7 it's a big it's a big uh it's a big issue so i think people are expecting him to come out more often and sort of be combative and so we'll see it's it's a real uh there are already some people prognosticating how would the democrats if it came to that without saying that it's going to it's very hard to get somebody off the ballot once he brings up and it's very hard for him to get somebody on the ballot now like this, this guy, Dean Phillips from Minnesota, may be the only man standing if Biden, for some reason, were to withdraw, not to say that he's going to withdraw. And then on the Republicans have the same problem. If Trump is actually convicted, if all these cases go forward and he has, you know, four four cases of felony conviction before November, how do you get another candidate in there? It's kind of a a uh, uh, a race to the bottom. Let's put it that way. It's really uh, it's shocking. It certainly is. Uh, since we spoke last week, the odds on 
Gavin Newsom being the next president of the United States, have halved from 25 to 1 to 12 to 1. Um, oh. a friend of a friend of mine had a had a small wager on Newsom and the way the bookies work in the UK means he can cash out. He can right. uh, avoid oh, oh, really? even waiting for the final event and take a profit. So he's right already now. doubled his money. He's already he's doubled, already his, doubled money. his money. Exactly. Yeah. And now he can um, turn around and contribute to the next uh, to another candidate. That's incredible. You mean uh, I mean, it may not have reached you over there, but there was this weird sideshow of a debate. Newsom versus DeSantis. I think this was before DeSantis formally dropped out of the Republican That's primary. Right. The idea is that yeah. these would be the better candidates, right? They're younger. Yes. They're kind of like the future of their party. So while, yes. you know, so they, they had their own sort of like, it wasn't even a vice presidential debate. It was just a sort of like dream world debate, you know, to raise each of their profile. Now DeSantis has not only dropped out, but has endorsed Trump. However, kind of begrudgingly, he did it. So that's it's, it's he can't see. I think there's there is an analysis now that says Nikki Haley probably won't, you know, is maybe she's hoping that Trump will be knocked out and she'll be there ready. But she's pissed off the Trump people so much that I think that they would reach for another Trump surrogate in that case. But that by not dropping out, like when she drops out, I definitely don't expect her to endorse Trump. She's trying to sort of revive the kind of old school pro business. Uh, Republican Party. That's what I mean. She's accused of that, of being largely funded by like hedge funders and Wall Street, et cetera, and not being quote MAGA enough. But she's she's so enraged the Trump base that it, it, I, I was sort of surprised with DeSantis. DeSantis had been insulted by Trump, et cetera, et cetera, to sort of cravenly endorse. It, it is what's done in politics. But I think what people are saying with Nikki Haley is like she loses, but she loses. She goes out fighting. Trump loses, and then she runs in four years and wins. That's sort of her dream scenario, uh, such as it uh, is. You know, uh, it's a nightmare scenario, if you ask me. <laughs> I think along with yeah. I think along with Mike Pompeo, that you know she's arguably the worst figure on the entire U.S. political scene. I'm very disappointed that she got as far as she did with her campaign. To be perfectly honest, it was only shed loads of money, uh, a lot of it from Democrat donors, apparently. Um, who just simply wanted to damage Trump, that got her as far as she's got. Uh, put it that way. I mean, I don't think she has a natural constituency amongst the American people because she doesn't seem to want to offer them anything at all. Meanwhile, well, go on. No, no. I mean, I think, I think on paper at least, the idea of a sort of it's the, of, of a of a younger candidate that's a woman that's arguably, you know, South Asian. I mean, I, they think there was a I think we talked last week about this Republican candidate here in New York it was Swazi versus Maza Pillup. This was a, yes. a, a a race to replace George Santos. I'm, I'm, I have to tell you that Swazi wiped the floor with Maza Pillup. I think it's largely right. having to do with snow, which is probably this is the kind of local analysis that may not reach you there. But the, the Democrats all voted virtually and by mail. And the Republicans were counting on massive turnout on the Tuesday of this week. Only one problem. For the first time in two years, New York had a big snowstorm. So it was like as soon as the snow started falling, midnight between Monday and Tuesday, it was pretty much Mazda is toast. Now, there were there were a few stories about the Republicans bringing out the snowplows only in their areas so people could drive to the polls. But I think with it wasn't that amount if you lived in russia for example it wouldn't 10 inches of snow wouldn't be much but on long island it's quite after all of this uh for the last couple of years we haven't had snow so it was a but here is the thing on paper 
this is was an analysis that I saw that made some sense. On paper, Maza Pillip made a lot of sense as of being a kind of like she was a Trump supporter, and she said she favors legal immigration. She's an immigrant. She's a Ethiopian Jew from Israel. She was in the IDF. So the idea is that they were saying, you see, we're diverse. We're as diverse as the Democrats, but we wanted legal, legal immigration. We're against illegal immigration. The thing is that some of the people in that camp are not really for legal immigration either. And they weren't really for, it sounded great to have Maza Pillip as their candidate, but ultimately they, maybe it was the snow or maybe it was just they, they weren't quite as open-minded as, as polling would lead people to believe. And I think that also could be a problem for, for, for Nikki Haley and the Republicans. I, I agree. I'm not a fan. And I'll tell you why. It's, it's actually very, I've seen her up close and personal. She came to the UN. I still remember. She was a Trump's appointee as UN ambassador. And she, she said, I'm coming to kick, you know, take names. And like, I'm going to, she wore heels and was like, I'm going to kick ass with these heels on. She was very flashy, but she didn't do anything. Ultimately, there was no, she didn't reform a single thing. And I think like the whole idea of taking the job was just to sort of burnish her credentials, you know, as a, as a foreign policy uh, expert. And she's no expert. Like she literally, I, I would, I would ask her questions on the side by this, about issues other than Israel. And she had no idea of it. So there was no follow through. So that, that's, that's my, here's the thing. Let's go beyond. Let's go beyond legal. Legal New York. Are you following the Munich? Uh, 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 you know th this this uh, security conference. I, I I feel that you probably are. Here it's pretty big. Yes. It's pretty big news. Who's not going? Lindsey Graham not going after many years. Good. Lindsey Graham famous. Right. Exactly. You know, he, at the same time as that conference, he went down to the border, and the idea is that he's signaling that the days of Lindsey Graham as one of the sort of John McCain globalist let's go to davos let's go to munich are over and he's maga all the way red hat and he's down on the border it's kamala harris right. she gave a speech right denouncing trump's comments on nato etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's interesting to see how many congress people from here went there and the split sort of between this old way of doing things and the the new energy at least in the, in the republican party which is to say screw the screw you know it used to just be leftists saying screw Davos. Now it's like the Trumpites saying screw Davos. Anyway, over, I'm, I'm throwing it back to you. What's your, what's your, what have you heard of, of this conference so far? Well, it's turning into the Putin pylon, isn't it? After the yeah. death of Navalny, Navalny. Um, yes. You know who can condemn Putin in the strongest possible terms. Uh, the latest to do so is the dreadful von der Leyen creature, and. Mm -hmm. uh, Vice President of the European Commission, Josep Borrell, who said sure. he was slowly murdered by President Putin and his regime, who fear nothing more regime. than dissent from their own people. We will spare no efforts to hold the Russian political leadership and authorities to account. The two commission leaders demanded Russia establish all facts around Navalny's death and immediately release all other political prisoners. Navalny apparently dropped down dead after going for a short walk. He's being held now, he was being held in this Arctic penal colony, the Polar Wolf, uh, yep. inside the Arctic Circle, where um, in a post uh, just before, just after Christmas, he said that the temperature hadn't got above minus 32 degrees Celsius. So this place is tough. And yeah. um, I, I think it's quite possible that the cold alone is capable mm -hmm. of killing you. But I did think, 
and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Matthew, that the timing right. of Navalny's death was very interesting with respect to Tucker's visit to Russia and uh, his trip round the Moscow subway and a Moscow supermarket, as well, of course, as his cosy fireside chat with Putin, which appeared to paint him in a different light. So, you know, um, I, I, uh, no, no, no comment. I think the main, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the interesting thing to me was was Putin, and I think he might have done it uh, tongue in cheek, saying that he'd prefer Biden. I'm sure he caught that one. That sort of was. It, it, I think he actually helps Trump with that, right? Because the allegation is like Trump is too close. He's yes. he's in bed with the Russians. The idea that Putin would say, "No, no, I prefer Biden." And by the way, the Biden people were immediately like. Don't meddle in our elections. Whereas, of course, the U.S. is constantly like deeply concerned about the delay of the the, the delay in the Senegalese poll, and you know, and we we're constant. The State Department pretty much makes it a a daily business to comment on elections in other countries, and maybe I'm sure they mean well. But then, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Or I guess there's a distinction between calling calling out the incumbent for not allowing a fair election and and saying who you prefer. So clearly Putin doesn't have the vote, but I think it I think it was it was it was kind of a a, uh, a very slick move um, to endorse uh, to endorse Biden. It's not it's not the endorsement he was looking for. Let's put it that way. The next thing, Biden. what he needs now for the U.S. is to get the endorsement of Hamas. That will be extreme. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would really be the death blow. Like we love this guy there just to give you a certain back to the, the local local is uh, there's a congressman, a sort of a, a very progressive Democratic congressman from New York called Jamal Bowman. He represents part of the Bronx, Westchester County. He's under he's running. There's a guy primarying him sort of from in the, among the Democrats, but definitely from the right. And he said famously, he's the he's the Westchester County executive. He said Jamal Bowman is funded by Hamas, takes Hamas money. Which I don't know exactly even how it would work, but Jamal Bowman has demanded a retraction or he's suing for defamation. So this is the 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 another third rail in American politics. When when Hamas's endorsements come out, it's going to be uh, <laughs> they're going to be candidates running for the exits. I can't think there are many American politicians that Hamas would endorse. Um, but it is an interesting point that the APAC money seems to be under scrutiny like never before. Um, Certainly from social media, it would appear that Americans are starting to say, sort of, hang on a minute, how come all our po politicians are so universally pro-Israel? Has that got anything to do with their donations from APAC? I'm to right. including there Joe a, Biden. A, 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 a mean, question that couldn't be asked a year ago. To be honest, you, it, to be honest with you, in the realm of American politics, Biden is probably more uh, centrist on 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 Gaza than most than most politicians here. He's actually under a bit under some fire for like talking up the two states. Oh, solution, I know. Just so you know, you know. So it's sort I of know. it's 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 an incredible. It's an incredible. It hasn't yet caught fire in Trump world, but I think it's going to. You're going to see fire and brimstone, and you're going to see yeah, the Hamas allegation being directed at Sleepy Joe. Yeah, I, I, I think you might be wrong. And I'm afraid to say, as we heard from Dr. Khan in the first hour, it's fire and brimstone already in Gaza. I can't yeah. thank you oh. enough, Matthew. And uh, yeah. we will see you again next week. I'm Basil One day we'll be beyond. Go on. One day we'll be beyond the Trump docket, I promise. <laughs> One day. One day we'll be. <laughs>
I think it's going to take up the rest of the year. See you all next week. I'm Basil Valentine. Have a great weekend.